You know, as I was thinking about tonight, we've been teaching on how to receive a miracle from God. And yesterday we really tried to emphasize the word in the morning session. Last night I was showing what goes on in between when you pray and when you actually see it happen. What's happening in the spiritual realm? And I believe that understanding that will really help you to gain consistency. You won't have to see it before you believe it. You need to recognize that there's all kinds of things happening in the spiritual realm long before you ever see a manifestation of the thing that you prayed for. So um, I believe that those things have been real beneficial and they've helped. And as I was thinking about tonight, there is so much that I'd like to share. I can minister for at least 10 or 15 hours on this one thing here, and I just can't get it all in. And so I'm just going to have to hit a few things. Real quickly, let me mention that I've got a tape series back there on uh, hardness of heart or a book on that. And I believe that that's something that every Christian needs to understand, that you can harden your heart or you can soften your heart towards the things of God. And uh, I hadn't got time to explain that, but that is a powerful teaching. And the third tape in that series talks about the difference between faith and unbelief. Most people don't recognize that you can have faith for something and yet still not receive it if unbelief counterbalances it. It's like if you had a weight right here, you could hook a team of horses up to that weight and begin to pull in one direction, and they could be exerting great force on that uh, weight, enough to move it, but if you had an equal team of horses hooked up and pulling in the other direction at the same time, the net effect on the weight would be zero. There'd be nothing. And see, that's the way it is. A lot of you have faith. You know that you've had faith. You've prayed before, and you've seen your faith produce, and yet you may be in an instance where you're praying and you're believing and you know that there's faith, and yet you don't see your mountain moving. Well, there's different reasons for that, but one of the reasons is that you can have unbelief that counterbalances your faith. Most Christians don't have this concept. Most Christians believe you either have faith or you have unbelief, but there is no such thing as a mixture of the two. Matter of fact, I heard Reinhard Bonnke uh, interviewed on the 700 Club one time, and a woman asked him, why is it that overseas you see all of these great miracles, and here in the United States you don't see the thing? Do they have more faith than what we do? That was a good question. And you know what Reinhard Bonnke's answer was? Boy, it really amazed me. He says that America is the only place he has ever ministered in his life that has this concept of some people having more faith than others. He says he's never run across anybody else that thinks that way. You either believe or you don't believe. But in America... We've got all of these different levels of faith and stuff. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but isn't that true? I believe that you can use different amounts of faith. Jesus said that you have great faith to another person, you have small faith. But God didn't give us varying amounts of faith. Every single person has the same amount of faith. And it's possible for you to be using faith enough to see a miracle happen and yet have it counterbalanced by the unbelief that's in our life. And unbelief doesn't have to be out-and-out -out rejection. It can just be a hardness towards it. You can be filled with other things, occupied with other things. And out of Matthew chapter 21, that's what Jesus was telling his disciples. When he said, if you had faith, just like a grain of mustard seed, you could, you could say into this mountain, depart and be uh, cast into the sea and it would obey you. But see, the key there was if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed and doubt not in your heart. It's not the fact all the time that you don't have faith. The fact is that we've got faith, but we've got a lot of unbelief. Instead of trying to constantly build faith, we ought to also be dealing with our level of unbelief in our life. 
some of you give me a blank stare. You need to get those tapes. I'd love to teach on that tonight, but that's really a little bit involved. I hadn't got time to go into it, but that's powerful teaching. Also, I've got this series back there entitled uh, The Christian Survival Kit, and that's taken out of John 14, 15, and 16. And this is Jesus teaching his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And in John chapter 16, it says, These things... I, am I speaking unto you that you should not be offended in me? Mark chapter 4 says when you get offended is when Satan steals the word out of you. So Jesus was teaching his disciples what they had to do so that they wouldn't have the word stolen from them, that they could continue to walk in victory. He also said that same night that he knew all things that would come upon him. So Jesus knew that these disciples were coming into a crisis period of time and he prepared them for this crisis. I believe the greatest crisis that any group of people have ever gone through in the world was, was the disciples of Jesus. And he prepared them and he just told them, I mean, all of these things that you have to do in a crisis situation. Powerful, powerful truth. The very first thing, John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. And boy, I can minister on that for three or four hours. I believe one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ today is that we are emotional babies. We are motivated, controlled by emotions. I don't feel this. We have something happen. Well, I don't feel the joy of the Lord, and so I can't praise God. Man, that is immature to the max. We just need to grow up and recognize that you ought to praise God whether you feel it or not. Did you know if this is a typical group, I have no way of knowing if it is. Nobody's told me anything about you, all right? So uh, don't think that um, Jan told on you or anything like that. But if this is a typical group, I could give an invitation tonight for people that are discouraged and depressed. And over 90% of spirit-filled Christians would stand up and ask for prayer for being depressed. Brothers and sisters, that is a disgrace. There is no reason for that. All it is, your emotions go up and down. My emotions go up and down. I just learned a long time ago, I just really don't care how I feel. <laughs> and some of you say, well, how can you do that? You just make a decision. Did you know there's a lot of times I don't feel like praying for people. There's times that I don't feel like going to church. There's times I don't feel like preaching. And I just learned a long time ago, it doesn't matter how I feel. I'll pray for you. Some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen, I felt nothing. Matter of fact, the first time I saw a person raised from the dead, I had it all made up in my mind what this was going to be like. That Boy, this was going to be awesome. If I could ever see somebody raised from the dead, I'd just pass on to another realm or something. And I went and prayed for this guy, and he was raised from the dead, and I didn't feel a thing. Matter of fact, that night I was depressed, thinking, God, is this all there is to it? I thought there was going to be something more. I mean, I went to bed discouraged and depressed because I didn't have a zing after seeing a guy raised from the dead. We are a bunch of emotional babies. I mean, we've got to feel this. Well, I know God loves me. The Bible told me, so I know that he does, but I don't feel it like saying, God, I know that Jesus died for me and you went to all of this trouble, but that's not enough. Oh, if I could just have a goose bump, then it'd be great. <laughs> Boy, that's an offense against God. Your emotions are one of Satan's biggest inroads into your life. And we are emotional people. And boy, the world preys on that. Psychology has come along. And psychology has infiltrated our society and it's into the church big time. And psychology is telling you, but oh, if you don't feel this, if you don't feel fulfilled, and on and on and on. And a lot of our problems are created by us. You're sitting here trying to feel this. And do you really feel loved? Who cares if you feel loved or not? 
I am loved. I know that I'm loved. And that's all that really matters to me. I don't care. I don't have to have an emotion. I don't have to go through these things. Now, did you know since I've made that decision, I'm actually having more feelings than I ever had before. But it's just to a place that I don't care. It's not important. Amen? Thanks for that thunderous silence. Maybe I ought to preach on that tonight. <laughs> I was going to go on to something else, but you know, that's, that's good. The body of Christ needs to know that. Boy, you get up and you just don't feel good in the morning, so you allow the devil to beat you around all day long. And some of you think, oh, well, I, I can agree partially with what you're saying, but you don't understand my hormones. <laughs> they make me feel this way. That's a lie from the devil. I know some of you don't agree with that either, but God didn't make you to be a jerk. If your hormones are out of balance, get healed. There are not two days a month that you are just, uh, it's okay for you to act like the devil. That is not God. And I've, I don't apologize for saying that. I've had women come to me that I mean two, two weeks out of the month, they were like the devil. And they got prayed for and I got healed and I got set free from that. You don't have to be like that. There is no excuse for it. Amen. Our society's got an excuse for everything now. Amen. Men didn't even know 10 years ago there was such a thing as midlife crisis. Now they know it and everybody's expecting it and preparing for it. You can have one if you want it. I was just over in Romania and we had a couple from Indianapolis that had heard me on the radio and they came in menace over in Austria and they traveled around Romania with us. And as we got into Hungary and then into Romania, they says, can you feel the oppression? And yes, there's oppression over there. I mean, you'd have to be a spiritual deadbeat not to be able to tell the spiritual things that go on. But she was saying, do you feel the oppression? Are you depressed? And I said, I don't believe in getting depressed. <laughs> and it just shook her. I said, I don't care what, what's going on. If I make my bed in hell, I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to praise God. It just doesn't matter. In Manitou Springs, where I live, it's, uh, we used to have witches meet weekly and curse us. And they'd send us cards, sign it, the witches of Manitou. They were going to run us out of Manitou. We got a notice that Anton LaVey was moving into town and going to set up headquarters, which I don't really think was true. But it seems like every Christian group wants their town to be the most demon-possessed. There's some kind of a bragging right. Everybody likes to brag about, oh, it's really bad here. It kind of justifies us being a failure, amen, because we really got it hard here. And people had come up to me and says, do you realize that Anton LaVey's moving to Manitou Springs? And I said, I hope he moves in next door. Man, he needs to be born again, amen. It doesn't matter. Shoot your best shot, devil. Some of you think, man, what planet did you step off of? I believe that's normal Christian life. My feelings aren't based on how I feel. They're based on what God's Word said. If I want to know how I feel, I look up in God's Word. How do I feel? <laughs> well, I'm blessed. That's how I feel. If you ever ask me how I am, I'm going to tell you I'm blessed because I am blessed. I'm not going to tell you how I feel because I really don't pay attention to how I feel. I pay attention to what God says I am. You can do that. Some of you just think this is crazy, but you can do that. <laughs> Man, we let everything in the world upset us. You know, Smith Wigglesworth one time was going to bed and he saw movement at the end of his bed and he held up a candle like this and looked and there was the devil. 
at the end of his bed. Now, what would we have done? Some of us, man, we would have gone to rebuking the devil, get wild, mad, all these things. He just blew his candle out and said, oh, it's only you, and went to bed. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Some people say, well, man, if the song service isn't just right, you know, you can grieve the Holy Ghost. If anybody, don't anybody move during the invitation, you'll grieve the Holy Ghost. I've never figured that one out. Man, we believe that the Lord is so fickle that you can lose the anointing. It's hard to get, and then you never know if you can keep it or not. How do you think Jesus ministered? They didn't have porta potties out there where they were. And they'd have multitudes of people at his meetings, and there for three days with kids and people heckling him and making fun of him. Do you think that everybody sat still and nobody moved? Seemed to me like the anointing moved okay in Jesus' meetings. Boy, we got so many religious doctrines and customs. It's a, the thing that grieves the Holy Ghost is our unbelief, all of our junk that's in our lives, not the fact that somebody's chewing gum. I heard a man preach a sermon one time, 30 minutes on chewing gum could send somebody to hell. Something else. You know, I was on an, I don't know what I'm doing tonight, but this is good, amen. If you'll listen, you get some good things out of there. But I was on my way to uh, Phoenix, Arizona one time. I got on an airplane. I had Philip Moore with me. He was an associate. And we got the last two seats on the airplane. So we got the very last row. And we sat. I sat in the middle seat. And Philip sat on the aisle seat. And uh, there was this guy sitting next to the window that was wearing one of these old floppy, uh, what do you call those, berets. And he was wearing an army field jacket that had holes burnt all in it, cigarette uh, burns. And the guy had a long beard down to his waist, but it had big old spots out of it. And I mean, uh, hunks out of it. And the guy stunk real bad. He had fingernails that were like an inch long and green and yellow junk growing under his fingernails. This guy was grody. And while we were sitting uh, at the airport, before we had even pulled away from the gate, he smoked two cigarettes, which was against the rules. And the stewardess had come up and said, you need to put out your cigarette. He'd just cuss her, blast her. He was mean, and they just left him alone. So anyway, this guy, he, he was sitting next to me. And I started talking to him and asked where he was from. He told me where he's from. I said, where are you going? What do you do for a living? And, the, and it reminded me of if you, any of you ever saw the old Dobie Gillis show and Maynard on there when you say work. He went, work? He, said, he says, why should I work when the government will pay you a good living to be unemployed? He said, this old capitalistic society has to have a 10% unemployment rate to make it work. I'm just helping out the system. He says, I live off welfare. I go through trash cans. I get all my food out of dipsy dumpsters. And so I started talking to him about, well, God made you to be productive. Even Adam was given something to do. God told him to dress the garden. I said, a perfect man had something to do. I said, God made you to be productive. Instead of just receiving like a vacuum, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I was quoting scripture to him, talking. He didn't like it. He turned the other direction, but I just kept talking to him, telling him that. And I said, you'd be blessed. If you were to learn to give, and you, you'd be a lot more fulfilled. Finally, this guy just wheeled around and stuck his nose up against my nose, and I mean screamed in this airplane. He says, you are speaking to a disciple of the Maharishi, and he gave out this long name that was a name for the devil, I found out later in the conversation. And this guy turned out was a Satanist high priest under Anton LaVey. Now, see, some of us would have... <gasps> What am I going to do? Philip, let's pray. 
Man, it's too late to pray like that. Amen. That guy, he, it just rose up on the inside of me. This guy challenged me. And he was sitting there flaming. I mean, fire, hatred flaming out of his eyes. And I just stuck my nose right up against his nose. And I said, you are speaking to a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my God's bigger than your God. <laughs> And you know when I did that, this guy, he turned from this demon-possessed, terrible-looking guy. He just terror hit him. This guy freaked out. He just went wild. He started clicking and barking. And he was barking back there and clicking his jaws together. And uh, he started doing all kinds of things, trying to call up his karma. He got so nervous, he bent his, bit his fingernail and pulled it out by the root and spit that thing out. And boy, I just started pouring it on him. I said, man, you're a loser. You're God's a loser, I said. And, and look at you. I said, of all the people that the devil could appoint it, placed next to me, you're the worst example of any. Why would anybody want to serve your God? You stink, you smell, you get your food out of garbage cans. I said, look how, look how your God's treating you. <laughs> and he said, look, I love my devil. He said, I'd die for my devil. I said, you already have. I said, you're dead. You're a walking dead man. I said, what have you got to offer anybody? And he says, look, these people that curse you and they, they put a curse on you, and, I mean, uh, these animals, and they offer these animal sacrifices. He says, that's a low form of witchcraft. He says, I've killed 24 people. I'll curse you and you'll be dead in 24 hours. He says, I've offered 24 human hearts in sacrifice. He says, you can be dead in 24 hours. I said, shoot your best shot, buddy. I said, curse me. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 2 says, a curse causeless shall not come. I dare you. And man, he just freaked out. <laughs> reason I'm telling that, see, is we get all uptight about what is this happening? Who cares? I'm still the righteousness of God, whether I look it, smell it, feel it, or anything else. All you got to do is believe it. You don't have to feel anointed. You don't have to feel powerful. Amen? Well, that's powerful. You quit right now. Go home and you learn something. Let not your heart be troubled. He said, you let not your heart be troubled. Things can't make you feel any certain way. My youngest son, I'm going through this thing with him where he'll come up and say, I'm bored. We live on a place with 26 acres. We got a hundred something foot rock cliff that they climb up and down all the time. We got horses. We got dogs. We got cats. We got everything. Amen. And he's bored. <laughs> and I tell him, I said, Peter, being bored's a decision. Boy, he's heard that a hundred times if he's heard it once. I said, if you're bored, you chose to be bored. I said, anybody with an ounce of brain could think of something to do. I said, you can entertain yourself just thinking, if nothing else, whether you have anything to do. I said, if you're bored, you chose to be bored. Did you know it's the same thing with everything else? If you're depressed, you chose to be depressed. <laughs> Amen. Oh, brother, you don't understand. You don't know my problems. You, I've got these big problems. Well, you chose to think about those problems instead of thinking about what God promised you. You made a choice. You, you are what you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you're depressed, it's because you're thinking on depressing things. Did you know if I was to think on the things that you think on, I'd be depressed too. <laughs> I got as many problems as anybody in here. Amen. I got to have about $2,600 every single day of the world to pay my bills. Anybody want to trade situations? And we give everything away. 
And I don't push and pull for money. You ought to have to wake up every morning and have to have $2,600 just to live. Praise God. Do you think you got financial problems? I could think on that. I could get depressed and discouraged if I wanted to. Man, if I tell you the things that happened to me in the last two weeks, some of you wouldn't believe it. I mean, it is, it has to be supernatural, some of the problems that have happened to me in the last two weeks. It couldn't have happened naturally. It is impossible. We were telling our travel agent about some of the things happening coming back from Romania, and she broke in, and she said, is this a joke? She couldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe some of the things that happened. Went 72 hours with five hours of sleep. I have all kinds of things. I can get depressed if anybody. You can get depressed if you want to. You can be blessed if you want to. You can be what you want to be. It is a lie. It's one of the biggest lies the devil ever sold that this made me this way. Nothing makes you anything. You can choose what you want to be. The Lord has set you free. You can be free if you want to be free. If you're depressed, it's because you choose to be depressed. You may not like it, but you chose it. It's your thinking on things that depress you. If you're defeated, it's because you have chosen to be defeated. If you're weak, you've chosen to be weak. You may not have said, I want to be weak, but you've chosen to do things that make you weak. You can choose to succeed if you want to succeed. Amen? Anyway, you need to get that tape series on the Christian Survival Kit. It would help you. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. I tell you, there's so many things I'd love to share with you. Man, there is no excuse for not walking in victory. There are reasons, but most of them are just ignorance. God's Word has an answer for everything. If we would live our life according to God's Word, there is no excuse for us being defeated. Amen? Amen. Some of you, this doesn't feel good because you've comforted yourself with, well, this is the way it is, and this is the way everybody else is, and you've come up with scriptures that justify your defeat. But the truth is that there is no justification for it. There's no condemnation for it. God's not mad at you. I'm not mad at you, but I'm telling you, it's not the way God made you to be. God didn't make any junk. God never created any of you to be a jerk. God never created any of you to have defeat. If you're defeated, it's because you're doing things that cause that for yourself. God did not make you that way. Amen? It is not God's will for you. God has a perfect plan for your life. One of the most important things I believe that the Lord ever ministered to me that has helped me to be able to receive from God is just how I perceive myself. And this is a long, uh, drawn-out thing. I could spend a long time ministering on this. I'm just going to do it very quickly tonight. But I really encourage you to listen to this because in my estimation, I believe that this is probably one of the least understood things in the body of Christ. And to me, it's one of the most foundational things. You've got to understand this. How do you perceive yourself? Are you the sick that is trying to get healed? Are you the poor that's trying to believe God for prosperity? Are you already defeated and you're trying to believe God for victory? Are you depressed trying to believe God for joy? See, if you are, you've already accepted defeat. You've already embraced defeat. You are in a position of defeat. You are the defeated trying to become the victor. 
One of the things that changed my life was when the Lord showed me who I was in Christ Jesus and that I wasn't the sick trying to get healed. I was the healed of God. I already had it in me and Satan was trying to steal from me what I already had. And now I fight not to get healed, but I fight because I've already been healed and nothing is ever going to steal from me what God has given me. I don't fight to get over depression. I fight because I'm already blessed and no devil is going to depress me because God has given me joy unspeakable and full of glory and I'm just not going to have it. Amen or oh me. It's how you perceive yourself. If you perceive yourself as a weakling, then when the devil comes up and, the, and he says, you are speaking to a disciple of the Maharishi, something or another, you're going to freak out because why? You're going to say, oh God, I can't handle it. But see, if you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you'll reach out like, who are you to speak against me? How dare you insult a servant of the Most High God? Most Christians don't know who you are. Most of us think we are faithless trying to get faith. But the truth is you've got, already got all of the faith you'll ever have. You can't get more faith in what you've got. You can use more faith in what you're using, but you can't get any more faith from God. I've got a tape entitled The Faith of God. And it'll prove to you from Scripture that you have the exact same amount of faith in you at salvation. Every believer does. The same faith that it took to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's enough for any problem that you've got. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Y'all believe that? That's wrong. See, I quoted that the way y'all believe it. I didn't quote that the way it's written. It says, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not by faith in the Son of God, but I live by the faith of the Son of God. Paul said he was using the faith of Jesus. And Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. There aren't different amounts of faith. God doesn't have a different scoop that he used for me than he uses for somebody else. God gave us all the same measure of faith. And Paul said his faith was the faith of the Son of God. If there's only one measure, Paul had the faith of the Son of God. That means you've got exactly the same amount of faith that Jesus had. That ought to do it. That ought to handle any problem you've got. This whole concept of, oh God, I just don't have enough faith. My mountain's bigger than me. That's not a scriptural concept. Some of you may think I'm just dealing with semantics. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is I am not in victory. So therefore, whether I'm defeated or whether I'm the victor that's just being victimized at the moment, it doesn't matter. No, it makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference in your attitude. We come into church and we pray and say, Oh God, we ask you to be with us tonight. We ask you to move among us. Oh God, just be here tonight. Every one of us has probably prayed that or been in a church where it's prayed. That's a totally unscriptural prayer. The Bible says He'll never leave us nor forsake us. What's God going to do? Leave so He can come back and answer your prayer? Oh, well, God knows what I mean. Well, that's the only thing that's pulled us out is that God is merciful. If he gave us what we asked for, we said, oh, God, just go with us throughout this week. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And we wonder why we aren't getting results. It's because we don't believe the basics of the word of God. Is God with you or not? Well, I don't feel him. Grow up. 
just grow up. Who cares whether you feel him or not? He gave you the promise. His word is promised. He sealed it in the blood of his son. What more does God want to do? He's got to give you a feeling every moment of the day so you can feel God's with you. How immature can people be? I'm sure that at times the Lord, if he could get frustrated, would be frustrated with us. All of the miracles he's done in your life. Look what God's done for you, but that was yesterday. That was five minutes ago. I don't feel it right now. God forbid. Man, it's a a miracle God ever uses any of us. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. If you don't feel him with you, well, then your feelings are wrong. Do you know feelings are based on the way you think? Feelings are not accurate. Feelings are not true. I can prove that to you. Because, you know, if I came up to you and and if this was a total lie on my part, no foundation of fact in it, and if I came up and said, your husband or your wife just died, I got a call and somebody told me they are dead. Did you know if that was a total bold-faced lie? If you believed what I said, did you know you would experience all the emotions that went along with it? You'd experience grief, sorrow, anger, fear, whatever. But you'd have all of the emotions even though it hadn't happened. It never happened. All it was was a lie, and yet you still have the same emotions. Your emotions aren't based in fact. A person says, well, I couldn't be. If I feel depressed, I must be. That's not so. It's just a lie. It's what the devil's telling you. And if you believe it and think it, then you'll experience the emotions of it. But the truth is that you are not depressed. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Man, I wish I had five hours to preach on that one verse. That's what's in your spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Faith is there. Meekness and temperance. Did you know that it's always there? There is no such thing as a certain uh, time of the year where your spirit isn't bearing fruit. That's always the product of your spirit. Your spirit's always rejoicing. Did you know that the whole time you're depressed and discouraged and sitting around crying and bawling and complaining and talking about how bad your situation is, you're born again spirits in union with God and praising God and having the time of its life. Your spirit's always rejoicing in God. Your spirit doesn't get depressed and discouraged. Your spirit isn't down in the mouth. Your spirit isn't afraid. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Your spirit has love and power and a sound mind. When you're fearful, that's because you're in the flesh. That's because you're in your emotions. You're walking in the old part of you instead of who you are in Christ Jesus. There's a new you on the inside. This set me free when I learned this. When I was over in Vietnam, I remember this song came out about, I've got the victory, you've got the victory, we've all got the victory now. And I used to sing that before I went to Vietnam. I used to sing this song about, oh, victory in Jesus. But when I was in Vietnam, man, I was going through this terrible thing of trying to understand what was happening. And I remember I I got so depressed, I asked God to kill me. It's a good reason why all that. I hadn't got time to explain that. But anyway, I was going through this this depression and I was trying to be honest. And I remember I said, I'll never sing that. I've got the victory. You've got the victory. We've all got the victory. I'll never sing victory in Jesus. It's just a lie. I don't have victory. I wasn't going to be a hypocrite. And see, what the problem was, I was out here in the physical realm. I was looking in a mirror trying to see if I had victory. I was searching my emotions trying to feel victory. 
And what I didn't know until I got back and the Lord opened up the word to me is that my spirit man all of the time had love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. My spirit constantly is as he is. 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world. That didn't mean so are we going to be, so are we in this world. Did you know that your spirit right this moment is exactly as Jesus' spirit is? Man, if you could get hold of that, it'd transform your life. Praise God. That's powerful. See, I just drained all the juice out of here. <laughs> your spirit's exactly like Jesus' spirit. They're identical. Molecule for molecule, ounce for ounce. If you're born again, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, out of Galatians chapter 4. You've got the spirit of Jesus on the inside of you. Paul, the reason that he had victories because he says, it's not me living, it's Christ living in me. He learned to quit caring about how he feels, how he looks, how he smells. That doesn't matter. It's only Christ in you. I'm going to do things based on who I am in Christ Jesus and what Jesus has done. And in Christ, I've got the same power, the same anointing that Jesus has. You've got the same power that Jesus had. Man, if I could, I've got a thousand scriptures right now that I could quote to you. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 2. That's exactly the point of those things. Praying that instead of Paul praying, Lord, give them something, give them more faith. He says, open up the eyes of their understanding so they'd see what they have. Help them to see the inheritance, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. God's inheritance isn't in heaven. If you want to see the glory of God, don't, Im don't imagine a throne. Look right here inside of you. You've got the glory of God in you. Romans chapter 8 verse 17 says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Not to us, but in us. Someday we're going to stand before God and say, oh God, praise God, I finally made it. Now I'm going to get the power, all of the things that I ever, and it's going to astound you to find out that you contained all of the power and the glory of God while you walked through this earth. That treasure's in an earthen vessel is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Right now the glory of God's on the inside of me. Ephesians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 19, says the same power that, that uh, was wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that's the same power that you have on the inside of you. You don't have a power shortage. You got a brain shortage up here. Amen. We're saying, I don't feel it. You don't, it doesn't matter if you feel it. Amen. You believe it. Well, how do you know what to believe? Because God's word, John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You just look in here and whatever it says about you, that's who I am. That's how I feel. Well, what do you think? Well, let me see what I think. Amen. <laughs> I think over here, I think that I'm the righteousness of God. I just read in here. This is what I think. This is what I feel. This is who I am. This is how I'm going to act. Somebody said, well, you're just a little robot. No, I've got a choice, and I have chosen to become exactly what God's Word says I am. good friend of mine in Chicago, he got born again in a mental ward a psych ward. He got born again. He had lost his mind. He didn't know who he was, didn't know where he was coming from or where he was going. When he got born again, he didn't have a past. He didn't have a future. He didn't have an identity. He was nothing. <laughs> so he, he was given a Bible and he said, I don't know who I am. So he just read about Jesus and whatever Jesus was, he says, that's who I'm going to be. And he just started acting like Jesus, 
When people wanted something, I'm, he just said, what would Jesus do? And he just imitated Jesus. And did you know he's one of the most godly people I've ever known? That was 14 years ago. He grew up in abject poverty, didn't go to school because his parents were both alcoholics, and he grew up without any clothes. He'd go months without any clothes, running around in his underwear until the welfare people would come get him and give him some uh, Salvation Army clothes, and he'd go to school a little while wearing those until they wore out, and then he'd stay home for another few months. I mean, he had a terrible childhood. His brain fried on drugs. He was in problems with the police. He was a mess. That man in 14 years has now, he's pastoring a church of 2,000 people, and they average giving away between thirty dollars and $40,000 per month. He does personally. That's what he gives away per month. Just because he, he just, he had an advantage on us. He wasn't somebody that had to change. He was nobody. He was nothing, and he didn't try and be anybody. He just decided, I'll be who Jesus was. Every one of us should be so blessed. Amen. Amen. Every one of us just ought to die to ourself. Doesn't that sound scriptural? You know, that's what the Bible's talking about. We, we need to just recognize, man, my life was a mess. I was a mess. I was a failure when Jesus found me. Sometimes the devil trying to say, oh, you're going to fail. <laughs> and one of the things that set me free, the Lord said, what were you when I found you? And I said, I was a failure. And he says, sound to me like you hadn't got a thing to lose. Amen. <laughs> Sounds like you're already a failure. See, I just recognized I'm a failure. That old man's a failure. I've got nothing going for me. I don't know why God chose me, but I'm glad he did. God can use anybody. God used Balaam's donkey. Amen. I qualify. You qualify. <laughs> if you just forget who you are. Well, I've been brought up to be timid all of my life. Well, you ought to rebuke that. You ought to renounce it. Who cares? If you don't like who you are, become who Jesus said you were. Amen. That's right. Well, this is just the way I've always been. Well, grow up. Quit being carnal. Quit being a jerk. Amen. Grow up. Look at God's word and be who God said you are. Man, this set me free when I found out that there was a new person on the inside of me. And he's a good person. He's, he's got the perfect wisdom of God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. Put, and, uh, put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. My spirit man is renewed in knowledge. 1 John chapter 2 verse 20. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. My little peanut brain doesn't know all things. But my spirit man knows everything. I've got perfect knowledge. Perfect wisdom on the inside of me. And all i got to do is draw it out and, and program it into this mind. As much as I can do that, I can walk in the wisdom and the blessing of God. Did you know I found out that I've got the same power in me that raised Christ from the dead and as much as I believe it, I can release that. And I've seen miracles happen. People's eyes open, blind, uh, deaf ears open, people raised from the dead, miracles happen. And it was there all along. Did you know that you've got that same power on the inside of you and some of you, instead of looking at who you are in Christ, you're looking who you aren't in the flesh. You're over here saying, well, I'm righteous. You go look in the mirror and you start saying, this is righteous. Is this as good as it gets? This is the righteousness of God? And you say, I can't. The Bible's so hard to understand. It didn't say that your flesh was righteous. Your spirit man's righteous. That's the you. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's not talking about your body. If you were fat before you got saved, you're going to be fat after you get saved. 
Your body's not the part of you that old things passed away and all things become new. And it's not talking about your brain either, because if you were stupid before you got saved, you're still going to be stupid after you get saved until you renew your mind. Your mind doesn't instantly change. So what does that scripture mean? It's talking about your spirit. Right here in your belly is your spirit. Did you know that? Bible says in John chapter 7, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed upon him would receive. So right here in your belly is where your spirit is, according to the Bible. Some of you look like you got more of the Spirit than others, but that's not so, amen. <laughs> it's my spirit that's like Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. My spirit is holy, as righteous, as pure as it can get. You say, but you don't understand. I've lived in sin. I've gone out. I've lied. I've stolen. I've committed adultery. I've done these things. That's your flesh that did it. Your spirit, man, didn't do that stuff. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says, Whosoever is born of God cannot commit sin. And people say, cannot commit sin. How can I understand this? Does this mean that a Christian cannot sin? And that causes problems. So people say, well, that means habitually sin. You won't habitually sin. If you were an alcoholic before you got saved, you may drink once, you may make a mistake, you may fall, but you won't continue to be an alcoholic. Or you aren't truly saved. That's not what the scripture means. Now, I agree that an alcoholic shouldn't continue to do it, but that's not what that scripture's talking about. If you say that, then what you have to do is say, well, that means, you know, big sins like alcoholism, adultery, homosexuality, something like that. But what is sin? Bible says in Romans chapter 14, verse uh, 23, to him that does knows to do good. No, that's not Romans 14, 23. That's whatsoever is not a faith is sin. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So the Bible's definition of sin is when you know to do something right and you don't do it. That's sin. Sin is not only what you're doing that's wrong. Sin is what you should be doing that you aren't doing. If you want to use that as a definition of sin, all of us are habitually sinning. Did you know that being that overeating is an habitual sin? Did you know that gluttony and drunkenness are put in the same verses numbers of times in the Scripture? Now, am I trying to condemn you if you're overweight? No, I'm overweight, and a little bit of sin is not better than a lot of sin. Amen. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just saying that it's unjust the way we think. We say, well, it's the big sins. Whosoever is born of God can't do the big sins. No, that's not what it's talking about. Well, I can't help it. I just It just seems like I look at food and it, I put on weight. I just can't help it. I don't know how I gain weight. Well, that's a lie, too, because you can help it. You've never accidentally put anything in your mouth in your life. <laughs> Everything you stuck in your mouth today, you thought about it. You looked at it. You put it in there. You're responsible for what you eat. What that verse is talking about is in your spirit. That spirit's the only part of you that's born of God. Your body's not born of God and your soul's not born of God. But your spirit is born of God and it is a completely new creature and it cannot sin. Your spirit doesn't sin. When you sin, you sin in your actions and you sin with your mind, your emotions, but you cannot sin with your spirit. And John 4, 24 says, God is the spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God's a spirit. God looks at your spirit. And you know what he sees when he looks at you? 
He sees you righteous, holy, and pure because that spirit can't sin. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, you are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 says, put on the new man, talking about the born-again part of you, which is um, created in righteousness and true holiness. Your spirit is righteous and truly holy. Did you know that I can stand before God just as if I had never sinned, justified? And some people think, well, I can't say that. That's because you're looking on the flesh. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God looks on my heart, and my heart's pure. Some of you think, brother, how could you say such a thing? Because I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord, and He gave me a new heart. And he, that's what the scripture says. And it is created in righteousness and true holiness. I'm pure before God. When God sees me, God looks on the spirit man and he sees me righteous and holy and pure. That's how I can have boldness. Is because I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Some of you know that God has power, but you don't believe it'll work for you. Why? Because you know you aren't what you're supposed to be. Well, I'm not what I'm supposed to be. Ask my wife. She can tell you. You know, some of you listen to me talk about, I've seen people raised from the dead, miracles, blind eyes open, and you, you rejoice. You say, praise God, I believe those things happen. I mean, if you didn't believe in the miraculous power of God, you wouldn't be here on Monday night in a shopping center. Amen? <laughs> you're fanatics. You believe that God does miracles. You believe in the supernatural. That's why you're here. And if I was to tell you that, praise God, we're going to see miracles happen tonight. Most of you, amen, brother, let's see it. If somebody comes forward, if I prayed for them and they fell over dead, and if I said, how many of you believe God's going to raise this person from the dead? Did you know a lot of you, probably the majority of you would say, I believe it. Let's pray. Boy, I want to see it. But you know where I'd lose 99 out of 100 of you? I say, all right, if you believe it, you come up here and pray for them. <laughs> now, see, you believe God can do it, and you believe God will do it for me. But you don't believe God will do it for you. Why? Because you know you better than you know me. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my <laughs> prayers than you have in your prayers. <laughs> That's the truth. You know all the rotten thoughts that you've had. You know all the sorry things. See, it's because you don't understand that God isn't moving in your life because you are some hot shot, because you've got your act together. God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. God doesn't use us based on our holiness. One of the biggest lies in the body of Christ is if you aren't holy, God won't use you. God won't use a dirty vessel. Well, God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to use. Brother, I believe you've got to be holy. Well, you ought to read the Bible sometime. You ought to read about some of the great holy men that God used. Abraham, called the friend of God, the only person in all the Old Testament called the friend of God. Did you know that that man lied about his wife? He was afraid somebody was going to take his wife for, and kill him to get at his wife. So he just said, she's my sister. Do whatever you want to with her. Would have made Jim Baker come out smelling like a rose compared to Abraham. <laughs> Abraham was a scoundrel, and he didn't do it just once. He did it twice. Did you know that also, according to Leviticus chapter 18, anybody that marries a half-sister, it's an abomination to God. You can read that in Leviticus chapter 18, and they're to be stoned to death. Did you know Abraham married his half-sister? That was an abomination in the sight of God. When did God decide it was an abomination? When he wrote it, or was that, is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? It was an abomination, but God wasn't holding it against Abraham. He didn't reveal that to him. He didn't punish him for it. 
Did you know God doesn't use you because you got your act together? That's the biggest deception anybody's ever been in to think that, man, I'm holy. Now God can use me. The only way you can look holy is comparing yourself with me or with somebody else. You can't compare yourself with Jesus. All of sin comes short of that glory. All of sin comes short of the standard of Jesus. There isn't a one of us that ought to be standing before God. But see, we get to looking in our flesh and thinking, well, I've got to get my act together so that God can use me. God isn't using your flesh. The only part of you he's going to use is your spirit. And your spirit is righteous and holy and pure. It is as Jesus is. It is rejoicing right now. It's got faith. Some of you, your spirit's jumping up and down saying, Amen, brother. Amen. Your spirit knows what I'm saying is the truth. Amen. There's a lot of us that our spirit never gains control because we're always going around, Well, this is how I feel. This is what I think. And we're walking in our feeling, thinking, emotion part of us, and our spirit doesn't control us. How do you let the spirit control you? John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word is spirit. If I want to know what I'm like in the spirit, what does God's word say I am? I am as he is, what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. So that's the way I am. I can do what Jesus did. He said, the works that I do shall you do, and greater works than these shall you do. I can do the exact same works that Jesus did. Amen. Some of you, brother, I can't believe you'd say that. Well, that's the reason it's not working for you. It's because you can't believe it. That's the only thing that's different. You can be what God says you can be. I'm not saying I'm anything that God said I was. I mean, I've got an entire lifetime just trying to live up to what he said I was. I don't need to go to making up anything. God's given me everything I ever need. I am who God says I am. I feel the way God says I feel. I'm going to think and do and be what God said I am. And I am not going to consult with my feelings or emotion or take a vote and ask if the economy will allow this or anything. It just doesn't matter about anything else. I am and going to do what God said I can do. You go to believe in that and it'll change your life. This changed my life. I came out of Vietnam instead of saying I'll never sing victory in Jesus again, recognizing that, God, I had the victory the whole time I was asking you to kill me because I was so miserable. It's already done. Colossians chapter 2, you're complete in Christ Jesus. You are complete in Christ Jesus. There's nothing to be added to your spirit. Your spirit's not the part of you that's growing and maturing. There is a growth in the Christian life, but the growth is in your brain. You're educating your brain, renewing your mind, and you're growing and becoming more outside what you already are on the inside. But inside, you are exactly like Jesus. The same power, the same anointing that's on Jesus. When I first started ministering, it was just a tradition in the spirit-filled group that when you come into a place, you pray with the pastor and the other people and ask God to anoint the speaker. Oh, God, we ask you to anoint me today. And, you know, the Lord finally got through to me. It says the anointing which you have received of him abides within you, and you need not that any man teach you, etc. He says, he that hath called us and hath anointed us is God out of Second Corinthians chapter 1. And I finally realized, God already anointed me. 
I'm anointed. I don't need to ask God to anoint me. What I need to do is believe what God's Word says. And now I never ask God to anoint me. I never pray God's blessing on a service. He's already blessed it. God's blessed every time we get together. There's a special presence and anointing of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to ask God, oh God, will you heal people tonight? God wants to heal you more than I want you to be healed. I don't have to ask God to do that. I don't have to pray. If, if the pastor says you need to get in here and you want to pray... Here's the side room. You want to pray for 20 minutes before the service? I tell them, I say, look, if I hadn't got it by now, I'm not going to get it in the next 20 minutes. Amen. <laughs> we got all these religious traditions that are based on unbelief. Truth is, God's here in all of His power. You can't get any more presence of God than what's in this place tonight. Now, you can get your mind renewed to it more, but I guarantee you God's here in all of His glory, all of His power. He's here to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. He's here to do anything that we will allow Him to do. God is not the one that's holding back. It's us that limits God through our doubt and through our unbelief. Brothers and sisters, God's already given us everything that you'll ever need. If you go to understanding that, you know what will happen? All of a sudden, you'll begin to recognize... I do have the victory. Now, I don't deny that there are times that I don't feel like I have the victory, but I've just learned that I'm not going to let a feeling ruin my life. I'm not going to let feelings dictate to me. They will not control my life. I'm not going to harbor things in my life. I've had people hate me, try and do me in. I've had people put out a death warrant for me. This one guy who was a friend of mine turned against me and spent eight hours a day on the phone trying to run me out of a church. He was an elder in the church trying to run me out. And did you know I just forgave the guy so much so that within a week or two I came back into his shop and was talking to him. And I went out and told Jamie, I said, something's wrong. Burley isn't friendly to me the way he was before. And she thought, you're kidding. I said, no, something's happened to him. And then she began to remind me how he had hated me, how he had called me all these names and been on the phone trying to run me out of the church. I forgave him. I forgot it. I literally spaced it out because it wasn't what God wanted me to remember. You don't have to remember that junk. You don't have to keep your mind stayed on something that's wrong. You can choose what you want to think on. Do you know that's all that sinality is in old people? Old people just get to where their life is so bad at the present, they can't stand it, and they get more and more to where they just force their thinking to go back to the old days, something that they can remember that's fun. I had an aunt who was 99 years old. She couldn't carry on an intelligent conversation. She'd eat and say, when are we going to eat? She didn't remember anything, but you could say, when were you married? She'd give you the date, the day, everything. When were your kids born? She could tell you all of that. There wasn't anything wrong with her mind. Her mind was working perfectly, but she just chose what she... She did not want to be in the present, so she's checked out of the present. Her mind was still working. You can think on what you want to think on. You don't have to think on defeat. You don't have to look at your problems. Look at a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This this is powerful scripture about Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul said this in verse 16. 
Second Corinthians 4.16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day, day by day. He's saying that, look, what happens in the outward doesn't matter what's happening on the inside. The inside man is not dictated. You cannot dictate to your inner man by outer circumstances. What you do to me can't make me do anything. I can choose what I want to be. You can hate me and I don't have to hate you. If you think, well, this circumstance, if it happens, you can't help but get angry in that situation. Man, that's bondage. If, if certain circumstances dictate your reactions, then I promise you all you are is a time bomb waiting to explode. All the devil's got to do is just plant the right circumstances, the right people in your path. And regardless of how much you desire to walk in love, you aren't going to make it because Satan's got plenty of people to go around planting your path. The truth is, it doesn't matter what you do to me. I can love you regardless. My love for you isn't dependent on what you do. Amen? See, Paul was saying, it doesn't matter what's happening in the flesh. My inner man is being renewed day by day. And then look at this, verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, before we go on with this, stop and think about this. This is Paul. The one who had everything conceivable happen to him. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he listed his light afflictions. Being shipwrecked, stoned to death, left for dead, put in prison, put in the stocks, beaten with rods, beaten with whips. He was hated of all men. He said, I don't have any certain dwelling place. He says, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. He said, everybody else is esteemed and yet we're reproached. Paul had it worse than you ever thought about having it. And yet he says, our light affliction. Some of you, if somebody asks you, how are you doing? Boy, they just wish they hadn't have asked because you're going to tell them exactly how bad your situation is. Some of you love to tell people how miserable you are. Man, how bad things are. Oh, I got it bad. You just don't understand. Paul had it worse than any. All of us in here all put together. And I know somebody's thinking, no, you just don't understand my situation. You just don't understand the Word of God. There's people that have had it a lot worse than you. Amen? It'll pass. That's what the Bible says. It came to pass. That's the reason it came, so it could pass. Amen? <laughs> It'll come to pass. It'll pass over. Paul had a light affliction, and his affliction was heavier than yours, and yet he said it was light. So that means that there isn't a person in here that has a justification to gripe and complain. There isn't one of you in here that has anything to moan about. Amen? I'm preaching better than you're listening. <laughs> Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, how could he say it's a light affliction? Well, for one thing, he had it into perspective. He said it's just for a moment. Now, this moment that he was talking about was his entire life. But it's just a moment. See, when you stop and look at that, I mean, if, if everything else fails, if you can't see any light at the end of the tunnel, every time you think you see a light at the end of the tunnel, it turns out to be another train. <laughs> I mean, if there's just no hope left for you whatsoever. If nothing else, go to thinking about heaven. If nothing else, just think, well, God, all I got to do is put up with this for another 20 years, and then I'm going to spend eternity in your presence. You can rejoice in that. And you know what that'll do? That'll make your affliction light. There's people that aren't in the spirit-filled realm that don't know about healing 
And there are people that were blind. Fanny Crosby was blind, and yet she wrote hundreds and hundreds of hymns and was known for her praise and worship for God, and yet she was blind. She didn't know about healing. She didn't believe healing was for her, and yet that woman lived in victory and prospered because she at least had enough sense to recognize that's just temporary. Someday I'm going to be with the Lord. I'll be perfect. She is able to praise God. One of the reasons we get so down in the mouth is because we get to looking at our little situation and we can't we forget what God's done in the past. I've seen people that God's healed miraculously, put marriages back together, made a great change in their life, and yet they come up against some little problem. They get their mind so focused in on it all of a sudden, I'm going to just renounce the Lord. I'm going to quit if this doesn't work. Throw away everything for one stupid little problem in your life. You need to put things into perspective. You need to recognize it's no big deal. I mean, so what if the devil kills you? It's no big deal. It really isn't. If you understand, see, Paul said, I'm in a strait between two. I have a desire to go to be with Jesus, but it's more needful that I stay here for you. If you ever get things into perspective, if you understand what God's given you, well, then who cares? If the devil kills you, big deal. I win. <laughs> I win if I win, and I win if I lose. I just can't lose for winning. <laughs> I'm blessed. I mean, if I believe God and if, if the devil was to kill me now, I've already seen thousands of people healed. I've seen thousands of people born again. If I was to die right now, I'm blessed. Shoot your best shot, devil. If I win, I win. If I lose, I win. See, that's what Paul was saying. Our light affliction is just for a moment. If nothing else, get your head out of the sand. Quit looking at your problems and thinking that, man, this this next year or whatever is just all that there is to it. There's an entire eternity out there that we're going to be with God. Brothers and sisters, you hadn't got any problems. No big deal. Oh, that's awesome. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh far as a far, far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Here's another reason that Paul said it was just a light affliction. It wasn't because he didn't have problems. It was his perspective looking at it. Because, see, he didn't look at his problem. He looked at his answer. He looked at the e- eternal things God had given him instead of his, at his problems. We're so plugged into the world. Man, we listen to the news. We know every bad statistic. We know every rotten thing happening. We look at the bad, the bad, the bad constantly and wonder why we're depressed. Jesus would get depressed if he looked at the same things that you looked at. I can guarantee you. Well, Dave Duell was prophesying over a guy one time and he was praying over this preacher and he, he had his hand on him and he says, God says, I know you're depressed. And he says, if I wasn't God, I'd be depressed too. <laughs> God would be depressed looking at the things that you look at, but God doesn't look at them. Paul didn't look at them. You need to quit. You need to get out of this junk and begin to start recognizing there's a whole other world out there. Man, God's a good God. Great things are happening. Instead of zeroing in on all of the bad news, think about all the good news. Boy, there's some good things happening. God's doing great things in the earth today. And if you would look at that, you'd find out that all of your affliction would be just a light affliction. Awesome. 
Brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with any of us except what you're focusing your attention on. You're looking at the native. You're walking in the flesh. You're living in this old part, not recognizing that there's a new you on the inside of you. Man, you are a victor, not a victim. And the only thing that's keeping it from working in your life is that you don't know it. And even if you've heard it, you don't think about it and meditate on it. You're looking at your problems. You're thinking about your problems. You're talking about your problems instead of talking about the victories and what God has done for you. Amen? Well, the truth is, man, there's just no reason. We are victors through Jesus. We're new people. I'm a new creation. And I'm, I just choose to believe I am who God says I am. I'm going to think about that. I'm not going to be depressed and discouraged. There's just no room for it. We've got God. Jesus himself has come lived on the inside of us and we're still depressed. Can you tell that something's wrong there? Can you tell the Bible says you have joy unspeakable and full of glory? And yet most of us in here, I, if I hadn't preached this message tonight and if I came in cold turkey and just asked you how many of you have joy unspeakable and full of glory, there'd be very few that would raise your hand. Most of you would say, well, I know I should, but I don't. But see, the first part of that verse says, yet believing we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's only when you believe that your joy works. We're wanting to feel it and then we're going to believe. No, you believe and then you feel it. And you don't believe so that you can feel it. You believe and don't care if you ever feel it. When you quit worrying about your feelings, then you'll find out that your feelings will come. Amen? Grow up. Pull the pacifier out of your mouth. Begin to grow up and just say, Bless God, I'm going to be who God says I'm going to be. And you'll find out that, man, it'll begin to be a good life. You're blessed. Some of you think, well, you just don't have the problems that I've got. Again, I, I've had problems coming to me this last year. It's probably been the worst year of my life ever, personally. And yet, I'm blessed. I've had things happen that if you would have asked me 10 years ago, could you have lived through that? I said, no. There's no way I can handle it. Yet, I'm blessed. I'm having a good time. I'm rejoicing. It's inaccurate on your part to try and justify and say, well, I know God's Word says it, but that only works when there's no problems. That only works when the devil's not finding you. It just works all the time. It works all of the time. There is no excuse for it. Every last one of you can walk in victory if you renew your mind, begin to believe who you are in Christ Jesus, and begin to focus in on those things. You can be what God says you are, because you already are in a spirit. You're three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit's always in union with God. It seems like your body's always seeking after the flesh, the lust of the flesh and things. And so your mind is a critical factor. You put your mind in agreement with the body, you're going to die. You put your mind in agreement with the spirit, you're going to live. It's a simple majority, two against one. You get your mind in agreement with the Spirit, you're going to experience life and peace. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Are you having life and peace? If you aren't, it's because you're carnally minded. Oh, no, that's not my problem, brother. It's, it must be something else. No, the Bible says that it's because you're carnally minded. 
If you aren't experiencing joy unspeakable and full of glory, it's because you're carnally minded, because the joy unspeakable is there. It's just a matter of believing it and releasing it. Well, that's powerful. If you understand what I've talked about tonight, I guarantee you 99.9% of the battle is over. Just believe in that. will cause so much joy. It'll cause faith to rise up on the inside of you that the rest of it's just a simple matter of rebuking the devil. Amen? And he'll flee from you. It's no big deal. The devil isn't a problem. 99% of all your spiritual warfare is right in between your ears. You don't have to go up to some high place to fight against the devil. You don't have to go anywhere. Just go right here because that's where the devil's fighting you. You renew your mind to this and you'll begin to see the power of God manifest in your life. Amen? Can you all believe that? You know, what I've shared with you tonight is real simple. Like I said, you've got to have somebody help you to misunderstand it. It's very simple. But it took me 25 years to learn the simple things that I've talked to you about. And this ought to be the first day a person's born again. This ought to be basic Christianity. This ought to be the foundation. You can't get any simpler than this. This isn't deep. This is shallow. Amen. This This is as baby stuff as you can get. And yet, very few Christians ever think they don't have that kind of attitude. They don't have a mindset like that. Instead, it's just, oh, poor me. We see ourselves defeated. We identify with defeat. We embrace it. We confess sick. We say, I am sick. I'm poor. I'm all of these things, not understanding who we are in Christ Jesus. And then we wonder why we've got problems. Man, that's ignorance gone to seed. God's blessed us, amen. We just got to renew our mind to it, amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your word tonight. I'm asking you through the Holy Spirit, Father, to take these scriptures, the things that we've talked about, and to change attitudes, to change people's mindset in here. That, Father, we would begin to start seeing ourselves as complete in Christ Jesus. We pray that prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. And ask you to give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of our understanding, we ask you to enlighten them so that we can see the hope of your calling, the exceeding greatness of the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. The same power that was wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead and set him at your own right hand in the heavenly places. That same power, Father... I'm asking you to show us that we have that power living on the inside of us. Father, help us to see that the glory of God is in us. Out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that we have been called to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, open up our eyes so that we could see your glory in us. Father, I ask that we would see it and it would blind us to the flesh. That we just wouldn't be able to perceive the flesh. That we would become numb to it, Father, and begin to start walking in who we are in Christ Jesus. Father, I ask you that for people. I'm asking you for mercy for people tonight who have been so long thinking about themselves and how sorry they are that, Father, they can't get out of it on their own. I'm asking you for a miracle for them tonight, Father, that you'd help break that old carnal mindset and help them, Father, to begin to believe that they are who you said they are. Father, for people that are in bondage, they're possessed by their emotions. I'm asking you, Father, that they'd grow up 
And Father, quit letting their emotions rule them and they'd begin to start being who they are and acting on fact instead of acting on feelings. Father, I just ask you for people here tonight that you'd do a miracle through your Holy Spirit and change people's lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we praise you. Praise you, Father. Well, God's doing so many things in here tonight, I don't think that we could even minister to all of them individually. God's touching people's lives. He's already spoken to countless numbers of you here tonight. You need to take it as being a word from God and act on it. You need to make some decisions and change your life. You need to determine and just set your will and say, this is the way I'll be. Some of you in here need to grow up. And God's saying that in love, but man, we have been, we are a generation of adult brats still ruled and controlled by our emotions. Our society has dominated us with this wrong thinking. Psychology is ruining lots of people. We need to grow up. We need to renounce that stuff. We need to go back to God's word and be what God says we are. There's some of you in here that you've made a lifestyle out of being depressed and discouraged. You're up one day and down the next. You're up and down. You got mood swings. People are afraid to come around you because they don't know what kind of mood you're in. And you've pleaded with God for deliverance. It's not deliverance that you need. You need a renewed mind. You need to begin to start believing what God says. Some of you just need to put down your emotions and recognize that there's another part of you that is always constant. And you just need to start standing in it and walking in that. You need to renounce these emotions. You need to humble yourself and say, God, forgive me for being deceived and in bondage to this. And you need to grab hold of God's word and start being who God says you are. Praise you, Father. Father, we receive it tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus.